Good morning, Tabernacle. I want to uh, thank you for being with us uh, here and in Manistee on this cold, blustery, blowy, definitely snowy day. Those of us that thought that winter might skip us this year, not so fast, right? So uh, thanks for coming out. Uh, Just as a form of a PSA, uh, typically the Tabernacle doesn't close. Uh, We don't close for weather. We've even had power outages before. We figure I... I'm close enough, I can walk here. So as long as someone can be in here and unlock the place, we'll have church. Uh, we won't always have our other ministries. We try to follow the school. And so uh, most of you will be getting an alert that our uh, youth group will not be happening tonight at either location. And uh, just enjoy your night off. Spend it with your family. Uh, crack your Bible if you want. There's always going to be some people. Why did they do that? Well, we make our own decisions when we come here. You know, you choose whether it's safe or not. Um, uh, we're going to do our best. Uh, we're not trying to outdo anybody. I want to make that clear too. We're, we're just like, you know, I've got big boots and gloves. I can make it. And those that can, that's why we have church. So you're in a good place. Uh, I also want to thank you for uh, your giving as a congregation. Um, we've taken the decision here to stop passing the plates, but that doesn't mean that giving uh, doesn't happen. Giving is our worship. That's why we're, you know, we remind people our giving happens in the red boxes or some of you use the app or you give online. And I want to thank you for being a church that gives regularly, gives generously, and hopefully cheerfully. Um, many of you I know uh, make an extra effort uh, if you miss church uh, to make sure that your offering still makes it because it's an act of worship. So for those of you that stayed home today, I just want to remind you you're not off the hook. Playing, kind of. Uh, But uh, giving is worship. Giving is also a discipline. And this service, this message, this weekend is a little bit different because we're talking about another thing that is also worship, but it's also a discipline. And I'm just going to lead by saying it's, it's a bit of worship and discipline that I wouldn't say I'm particularly good at. The topic is prayer. It's prayer. And there I went ahead and said it, you know. I know some of you are like, well, Sally, we're never coming back here. This preacher doesn't know how to pray. No, I know how to pray. And I do pray. But I don't think they'll ever put on my tombstone, he was a man of prayer. And I want to be. I want to be. And I think for many of us, if, if, if it's true for me, it's probably true for at least someone else. We might think, you know, I'm not real good at that. Not real good at prayer. Why is prayer hard for some of us? For many of us, I would guess, based on the articles that I've read and even some of the books that I've read, prayer can be difficult. Maybe it's we don't know what to say or how to say it or am I putting the words together right? Prayer shouldn't be difficult because prayer is simply talking to God. A God who knows what we need before we even ask. He knows everything about us He knows what we mean even when we bumble and stumble over our words. And he's a God that wants us to pray. You know, many of us, we call ourselves Christians and we spend most of our life talking to everyone else and not a whole lot of time talking to the one who is closer than a brother. And so prayer, it can be difficult. It's worship when we pray. It's also a discipline to pray. And I pray here, you know, I pray before a service or after a service. I pray before meals. Uh, uh, You know, I pray privately. 
Not as much as I think I ought to, but what would happen if we became a church of men and women, young and old, who prayed? Jesus said, my house will be called a house of prayer. I'll tell you, someone who was great at prayer was my mother. And I've told you before, one of my earliest memories of prayer was being a, you know, the son of missionaries in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. And the way my parents did it, many times we had what was called family devotions. And I'm gonna give you another confession. I'm like, oh, here we go. You know, it was good for me. I didn't know it. Now I appreciate it. But at the time, you know, the family in the living room and, you know, someone sharing something from the Bible, usually mom or dad, or as we got older, we were given a chance. But we would end in prayer. And my father would call us to our knees. And at the time, it was like, oh, we gotta get on our knees. And, you know, everybody's, you know, in a circle. And and then he'd invite us to pray. And at the time, I didn't see the value, but now, as a 53-year-old man, I realized that was a powerful picture to see my father, who was and still is my hero, on his knees before God. Dads, are you listening? Nothing like God on earth to a child is dad. And now I see the value of that. And they'd ask for volunteers, and I learned real quick, you know, I was like, if we all volunteer, maybe mom won't. Because when mom prayed, she prayed forever. She prayed the pain off the walls, that woman. She can and still does pray. She's praying for us, I know, even today. And mom would pray, and, and, and I'd fall asleep. <laughs> you know, I'd wake up you know, on my knees, you know, with my face drool coming out the side of my mouth because mom could pray. But now I'm like, man, that woman knew how to worship, but she also understood the discipline of prayer. So if you have a Bible, if you turn with me to 1 Kings chapter eight, and like I said, it's gonna be a little bit different this week. Um, It's a long passage. It's almost 50 verses. And what I've decided to do, two things. One, I'm not gonna put the words on the screen because it's just gonna be words, 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 words. Because we're looking at Solomon's prayer of dedication for the temple. I encourage you to read it later. I'm not gonna read all of it because I think the message will be lost and will be here a really, really long time. But in Solomon's prayer, there is instruction in the format of his prayer to help us learn how to pray. In fact, as I studied it, it dawned on me that there's, there's four elements of Solomon's prayer that are repeated over and over, and they're the same four elements we see in the Lord's prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. And so for those of us that maybe struggle, I thought here's a perfect opportunity just to give some practical application on how to pray. And if you already know how to pray, uh, please don't leave. (laughs) Maybe you might learn something new. I learned something new. This was actually taught to me by an older pastor just this last fall. He's about an 80-year-old guy, and he says, John, this is a simple format to remember how to pray. And he went even further than that, because he's old and he's unfiltered. He said, you ought to teach your people this. Teach your people this. It's going to help somebody. You'd be shocked. After I've spent, uh, he said, uh, over 55 years in ministry, how many people come to church, are saved, they've been baptized, they might even be members, they might even be on your board. And they really feel kind of, Like prayer is difficult, and they may not know how. 
So if that's okay, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna look at Solomon's long prayer. We'll skip the stone across the, high, the highlights here and, and maybe it'll be helpful. This is how he starts in 1 Kings chapter eight, starting in verse 22. It said, then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven. So remember, all Israel's there, they're dedicating the temple, he's leading the ceremony, and he stands before all of them with his hands outstretched towards heaven. This is what he says, first thing. He said, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all your heart. You have kept with your servant, David, my father, what you declared to him. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand have fulfilled it this day. And he goes on to remind himself and God and the people of all that God had done for them. Down in verse 27, he says, behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. And so he's putting in perspective that God, you're way up here and you've been good to us and you've been faithful and we're down here and even we've built this house, it can't contain you. You're a great God, you're a loving God, you're a gracious God. The very first thing out of his mouth in his prayer of dedication ought to be the same thing when we pray. He begins with praise. He begins with praise. This is why when you're speaking to God, you're addressing the ancient of days, the holy of holies, the mighty one, the majestic one, the sinless one, the one who embodies love and mercy and grace. And as you come into his throne room, which is what you do when you pray, it's appropriate to begin with praise. Now I said, you know, I pray, but I don't think I pray as I ought or as much as I ought. How many times, you know, like I said, pray before a meal, pray before a meeting, pray when it's appropriate, pray in public. I'm really good at praying in a crisis too, when I need something. But even then, it's appropriate to begin with praise. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That means holy is your name. Even Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, part of the Trinity, God in flesh, begins with praise for his father. Jesus started with praise. For us, it's good to start with praise. Because no matter what you're going through, no matter what the crisis is, no matter what your urgent need is, and God encourages us to come to him with our needs, it's appropriate to start with praise because praise is associated with gratitude. No matter how bad it is, no matter how much snow there is outside, if I have breath in my lungs to complain about it, that's a blessing from God. Thank you that I have breath to bring my complaint to you. At least I got something to complain about, right? And so Solomon begins with praise. So this little instructive thing, it's, it's an acronym. I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you where we're going. And the acronym goes like this. This is what the old guy taught me. This is what I'm sharing with you. Maybe you've already heard it. It was new for me. I've learned other methods. I like this one better. It, the acronym is P-R-A-Y. And unless you didn't pay attention, in public school English class, that spells pray. 
And the P stands for praise. We start with praise. And then from there, verse 28, he says, yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea. O Lord, my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you this day, that your eyes may be open night and day toward this house, the place of which you have said, my name shall be there, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place. And listen to the plea of your servant and of your people, Israel, when they pray toward this place and listen in heaven, your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. And when you hear, forgive. So picture this. Prayer is just speaking to God. We make it difficult, but even a child can do it. If I start with praise, why would now he ask God to forgive? The second word in the little acronym is repent. Repent. You see, when I sin, and I do, and when you sin, and I know you do, that hurts my relationship with God. That damages the relationship. The same way if I hurt my wife, we don't stop being married, but I've hurt the relationship. Now I can't come in and say, oh, would you make my favorite dinner and rub my shoulders and iron my shirt for church? I need to kind of, you know, sorry, am I really fired now? He doesn't pray, apparently he treats his wife badly sometimes, and he sins. You do too. In those moments, we don't stop being Christian. You know, like some of us when we were younger, maybe, maybe even some of you now, you think that you know, you're a Christian and then you sinned and you gotta become a Christian again. Remember those days? I got saved probably a thousand times between the age of understanding and about 14. Because every time I screwed up, I thought I had to start over at square one, right? That's not true, by the way. When you're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, you're adopted into the family. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in you. But in that moment that I sin, or if I have sinned, when I'm coming to God in prayer, it's appropriate after praise to kind of address the areas in our relationship where I've hurt God with my sin. And so repent. We see Solomon says, when you hear our prayer, would you forgive us? It's kind of a blanket public prayer for those times when we know we're gonna let you down, God. And so in your prayer, if you find it difficult to pray, you start with praise. And then you gotta examine your heart. God, I know I did this, I confess that to you. I know I did this. But the reason that we just didn't say confess, but repent, before I get to all the things that, that, that I need, it isn't just like, oh, forgive me for that, forgive me for that, forgive me for that. Knowing full well I'm gonna do them again. On purpose. That's why repent. Repent is not just confessing my sin. Repent is saying, God, I want to turn from that. I need your help to turn from that. And so we start with praise, and then we just make sure the relationship's good. That's appropriate when you pray. In fact, I've, I've found myself this little acronym has been helpful to me because now I've got, I've got an order, you know? You know, I'm not out of the Catholic tradition. I don't have the beads and I don't have to say a bunch of stuff to Mary. She's not listening to your prayers, by the way. Sorry, ex-Catholics, I'm anesthetic. Don't pray to Mary. We pray 
to God in Jesus' name, right? And so we start with praise and then we go to repentance. And then in the following verses, and they're very instructive, but this is where you could get lost. In about verses 31 all the way to 53, Solomon is going to ask. And there are a lot of asks. And if you've ever felt guilty about asking God for stuff, stop it. He wants you to ask. He knows what you need before you ask. He knows how he's gonna answer before you ask but he still wants you to ask. You know, I'm a parent. I got teenagers in my house. And when they ignore you, or they sometimes treat you how teenagers treat people, because they're full of hormones, right? And they broke a bunch of stuff and didn't do their chores, and then they jump straight to the asking. I know what they're gonna ask. It always goes better for them if they start with a little praise, right? When they were younger, they used to say, oh, father, oh, great one. They always knew it was gonna be yes right after that, right? But if we've then worked on the relationship, I want my children to ask. No, they don't pay the rent. No, they don't pay for the food. No, they don't pay for all that stuff. But as a parent, it makes you feel good when they ask, right? It's no different with God. He knows what you need and it's appropriate to ask. And what Solomon asks for, the very first thing he asks for is for justice for people in the land. You know, when you're facing injustice, it's okay to ask God, the righteous God, God, I pray that righteousness and justice would prevail in this situation. In verse 33, it says, when your people Israel are defeated before the enemy and they're taken captive, the second thing he asked for is rescue. It's appropriate to ask God for rescue. Many of us, when our backs are against the wall, we wanna ask everyone else, we wanna, we wanna try all of our own efforts to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps instead of going to God first. I was just talking to a guy at the service last night. His back is against the wall. He's been trying to get to church for a long time and she doesn't wanna come. And then finally, in exasperation, with the marriage falling apart and her saying she wants out, he shows up here the last few weeks begging God for rescue. And that's a good place to be. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you brought. What do you need rescued from? Solomon asked God not just for justice, but for rescue. In verse 35, he asks for a provision. When heaven is shut up and there is no rain... You know, it's okay to ask God to provide for your needs. You know, we've made this uh, verse kind of our theme verse for the last year, this this place where Jesus talks about anxiety and worry in the New Testament. And he says, you know, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough trouble of its own. Focus on today. And then he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. It's okay to ask God to help provide for you. And we don't believe in health and wealth. We don't believe your good behavior leads to you getting rich. We're not a false prosperity gospel preaching church. He doesn't promise to provide for my greeds, but he does promise to provide for my needs. And so we see this in Solomon's prayer. He asks for justice, for rescue, for provision. In verse 38, he asks for deliverance. 
God, would you deliver me? Some of you are facing the, the, the really tough diagnosis or you're watching your loved one face the same thing or someone's in a whole lot of pain and it's okay to come to God and say, God, I'm asking for your deliverance here. In verse 41 uh, through 43, it's okay to ask or to pray as an outsider. I mean, if you think about Israel, there's the insiders, the sons and daughters of Abraham, but then he also covers those that are outsiders that come in. And I'm so happy to be a part of a church that has so many outsiders that want to be a part of things. Some of us continually need an attitude adjustment because we're like, I don't know why we need that place in Manistee and I don't know why we're starting this thing in Cadillac. Can't we just be this little frozen chosen where everybody knows everybody? Yes, join a small group. Well, there's not one for me and, and my people. Start one. A little cheers where everybody knows your name. But for this house, we're gonna care about outsiders because there's people far from God. And I love the fact that, that the prayer of many of us as we're praying for lost people to come, it's being answered and they're coming. I love the fact that there's a space problem and I don't care that you don't get your favorite seat. I don't. I don't. It's appropriate to pray for outsiders. In fact, I think one of the reasons we're called to pray for the outsiders and one reason in Solomon's prayer, he tells the outsiders it's appropriate for them to call on this God is because there's always room for more. In Matthew chapter nine, Jesus tells his followers, he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And then he gives the only prayer request Jesus ever gives. He says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send more workers into the harvest field. And it's the ultimate trick move by Jesus because he's telling us to pray to him to send more of us to serve. Because it's the only prayer request we can answer. Oh dear God, there's all these outsiders and I thank you for this revival and Lord, we just need somebody who lives in Cadillac like me, who's gonna go to the Cadillac campus like me, just somebody who will serve with the kids program. And you know me, I just love the sermon so much that it's not me, but if somebody, oh. Have you ever prayed a prayer and realized you're the answer to that prayer? Have you ever done that? Start doing it more. He says, pray for outsiders. In verse 44, he says, if your people go out to battle against their enemy, he prays for victory. It's okay to pray for victory. And I know some of you are thinking, man, the lions sure could use some help. I don't know about that one, but pray for victory in your marriage. Pray for victory with your child. Pray for victory with your addiction. God wants to give victory. And for the things that matter, for those who are seeking the kingdom of God, in the verses that follow, he, he prays again for forgiveness for his people. And then right down in verse four, or 54, it says, now as Solomon finished offering all this prayer and plea to the Lord, he arose from before the altar of the Lord where he had knelt with hands outstretched toward heaven. Now, I don't know if you caught that. I'm a nerd, so I did. He started out standing before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all those people. With his, and he spread out his hands toward heaven. But here it says, 
he stood up where he had knelt. So somewhere in that prayer, his posture changed from this to being on his knees. Now, I'm not being a legalist, but there's something instructive here. I was talking to Pastor John about this, and we just think Solomon would just pray in his heart. And somewhere in there, the king, no one's higher in this nation. Israel's at its zenith. Probably the most powerful man on earth. He would be the equivalent to a U.S. president at this point. In front of all his people, he let them see that he was praying for the king of kings. If you've never tried praying on your knees, might be a good experiment. I'm not saying you have to because I want to tell you, God hears prayers standing up. He hears prayers on our knees. He hears our prayers laying down. He hears prayers, eyes wide open, driving. Please don't shut your eyes there. Jesus, take the wheel, because I'm going to pray. No, 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 you know. He hears all those prayers. He hears them all. He hears long prayers. He hears short prayers. And some of us were wrapped up with, oh, if we could just get 10,000 people to pray, I know God would do what we want. No. Whispered prayer of a child is just as powerful. God hears and he cares and he answers. So he had knelt before them, but that's also instructed of something else because in verse 58, he says, God, that you may incline, it says that he, God, may incline our hearts to him to walk in his ways and keep his commandments, his statutes and his rules, which he commanded our fathers. And in verse 61, he concludes by saying, let your heart therefore be wholly true to the Lord your God, walking in his statutes and keeping his commandments as it is this day. The fourth word in the P-R-A-Y method is yield. Yield. That's where you give God your yes. So it's appropriate to praise him for his value, his worth, his grace, his mercy, his creation, for salvation, for Jesus. It's appropriate to repent, to confess my sin to God, recommit again to turning from them, ask whatever you want as long as you need to. But at the end, he closes with, and God, help me to yield to you, to obey you, to love God, to love people, to obey your commands, to do what is right. Help me to yield to however you answer. This is where you give God your yes. You see, spiritual immaturity is, if I pray to God and he operates like I want him to, like if I rub the side of the lamp and the genie comes out and grants all my wishes, then I'll be here next week and there'll be a nice offering. He's already made an offering the greatest offering, himself on a cross. So it's appropriate for me to remember he is God and I am not. And God, I ask these things, but regardless of how you answer, help me to yield to you as God, to follow your ways. Do you see how that works? I give him my yes again, because your yes might be to be the answer to your prayer. 
or it might be something else. We've said before, God always answers prayer and he always either says yes or I've got a better idea. And it's hard when he has a better idea, isn't it? It's hard because it feels like a no instead of a God that is his glory and our good in mind in everything that he does. That's why I remind parents, one of the best prayers you can ever pray for your child is, God, do whatever you have to do to get my child's attention and give me the grace to accept it, to say yes to it, to yield to it. Because sometimes the way God gets our attention isn't pleasant, right? P-R-A-Y, praise, repent, ask, yield. Then the last thing we see that Solomon does is he offers sacrifices. In verse 62, then the king and all Israel with him offered sacrifice before the Lord. Solomon offered his peace offerings to the Lord 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. And the feast lasted seven days. That's a church service. And I'm sorry, vegans, that's a lot of animals that they sacrificed and ate. What was that again? 22,000 steaks and 120,000 mutton chops. He made sacrifices. Why? Because Solomon believed. You don't offer those kind of sacrifices to a God that's not real. That's a waste of meat. Good meat. No, he believed it and all Israel with him. And it was extravagant. They're dedicating the temple. And so his yes became, here's the proof that's in a pudding. Here's my sacrifice. Now here's the good news as we wrap this up. This is more than just P-R-A-Y. We don't have to offer a sacrifice. The book of Hebrews says that Christ himself is our sacrifice once for all. We don't need the blood of oxen. We don't need the blood of sheep. We have the very blood of Jesus and it's by his blood that you have permission to pray. I'm not trying to diminish the office or the role of pastor, but I've said it before, I gotta say it again. My prayers hold no more power than yours because of the blood of Jesus Christ. If you're a child of God, he hears you. I'm happy to pray for you, but he hears the prayers of his people. Jesus, the once for all sacrifice, according to Hebrews 10.10. What does this mean for us? If you flip over to 1 Thessalonians chapter five, probably the second shortest verse in the Bible. Shortest verse is Jesus wept. Second shortest verse, 1 Thessalonians five. If you're using a Bible, it's that way to the right. Well, for you this way. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17, we get this command. Not a suggestion, a command. Christian, are you listening? It says, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Some translations say pray continually or pray constantly. And so if I'm gonna be a man of prayer, you're gonna be a person of prayer, 
We're commanded. How do we boil this all down? What we learn from the Old Testament, what we learn from Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. And he had, in the Lord's Prayer, he had praise, he had repentance, forgive us our trespasses as, they, they, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There's asking. And then there's yielding. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. There's the yield, right? And I'm supposed to continually pray, constantly pray without ceasing. God wants us to pray constantly. What would it look like in 2024 if the men and women, young and old, in the tabernacle, if we were to commit ourselves to be people that pray constantly. That doesn't mean everyone's got to join the prayer team. I'm so thankful that we have a prayer team. At both our locations, we'll have the same thing at Cadillac. People available before and after service that want to pray for you. But just because we have a prayer team and you don't feel good at it doesn't let you off the hook. God wants to hear and engage with the prayers of his children. And so for us... God wants us to pray constantly. He wants you to pray constantly. What that means is the compass of your heart should always lead you back to prayer. It dawned on me, and since this is Confession Sunday for me, I spend more time talking in a sermon than I do talking to God about the sermon. Well, I'm gonna ask you to pray for me to pray more. Can you do that for me? Would you do that for me? Would you just raise your hand if you'll do that? You don't have to, but okay, some of you, thank you. Because I wanna engage with my heavenly father, with my savior, by his spirit more. Not that I don't, I wanna do it more. And I wanna encourage you to do the same. God wants us to pray and he wants us to pray constantly. Now watch this, I wanna encourage you. I wanna encourage you with some things. In John chapter 14, Jesus said that when you pray, you pray in his name. Now, what that doesn't mean, you, you know how we learn how to pray from one another? So many times, you'll, you'll, you know, you heard somebody and so you just always do it. You assume that in John 14, when Jesus says, when you pray, pray in my name, ask anything in my name. I always thought that that meant you kind of add the little ending to your prayer, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it means way more than that. That's not a magical ending to your prayer, Okay? Otherwise, I could teach a parrot to pray. When it says you pray in Jesus' name, that means his blood, his sacrifice, the fact that he's a king, he's my intercessor, it means when I pray, I pray with his authority, his permission, his finished work on the cross, that he died, he took my sin and my shame and yours as well and said, once for all, it's paid for. That gives me permission to go before God. I pray in his name. Why is this one here? Oh, the name Jesus right across the forehead. This unrighteous one, oh no, he has the righteousness of Christ. So if you're a Christian, when you pray, you pray in his name simply because of who you are. In Hebrews chapter four, if you're taking notes, Hebrews four, verses 14 through 16, it says, because of this, when we pray, we can boldly approach the throne. I love that picture. 
It means God sits on a throne and when I come before him with my petition, I come with praise, I come with repentance and I got all of these requests. I don't have to do that like frightened out of my mind. I don't do it flippantly, but I can come boldly into the throne room. I can waltz in the way Jesus would. That's why I said, sometimes it's appropriate to be on my knees. Sometimes it's standing up. Sometimes it's in a deer stand. And there's long prayers. You know know what are the other kind of prayers that count? Text message prayers. Do you know what I mean by that? Just little quickies. Just little LOL emoji. God hears those prayers too. Because I can boldly come before him. And in, in Hebrews chapter seven, verse 25, it says, Jesus himself intercedes for us. Do you think God would listen to the prayer of Jesus? Sorry, that was a yes or no. Do you believe that God, the father, will listen to the prayers of his son, Jesus? Yes. yes. Okay, so if he intercedes for me, it's just like he's listening to the son. In Romans chapter eight, it says not only does Jesus intercede, but the Holy Spirit intercedes when we pray. That's why we don't get to judge one another's prayers. That's why, and and most of us, we judge our own. I'm not a very good prayer. I don't say all the nice, fancy words. Don't worry about it. In fact, it's better to use your own language because when you're praying your heart, the Holy Spirit knows what you mean And what it means in Romans 8 is that the Holy Spirit actually uses words that are like groanings that only he and God understand, translating what his children mean. Finally, it says in the book of James that when we pray, we should believe and not doubt. Don't test God. All right, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna pray five times on these hours and then we'll see if God shows up. No, that's not believing. When you pray, you trust that God heard and it's either gonna be yes or I got a better idea. And if you don't know how, follow the P-R-A-Y. Praise, repent, ask whatever you want and then yield to him. And that puts you in the right position of gratitude and honor, but with boldness knowing that Christ on a cross is the only reason we even come before the throne. And like I said, you can pray long. You can pray short. You know, forever people are asking me to pray and I, all, you know, I wanna say, yes, I'll pray for you and I'm afraid I'll forget. I'm not a good journaler. Many times I'm walking away from the convo. I'm praying right there. That prayer counts. It counts. Prayers in the morning. Prayers at night. Have you ever fallen asleep praying? Have you ever felt bad about it? Stop feeling bad about it. The fact that you chose to end your day talking to your heavenly father and you fell asleep, what a beautiful picture. Is my child just trailed off because he or she was sleepy? The fact that you were praying is what counts. Solomon, by all that sacrifice, showed he was committed. He was all in. Jesus shows his commitment to us by dying on a cross as the last sacrifice. I'm gonna make some of you right now mad. Uh, God hears prayers with eyes screwed shut. But he also hears prayers with eyes wide open and full of tears. God hears prayers with your hats on. Uh Uh-oh. And he hears prayers with your hats off. 
he always hears. Does he not? And yeah, I mean, is it cool when you know, someone gets up here to pray and all of a sudden hats pop off? Yeah, that's cool. But we're not gonna be legalists about that. God hears those prayers. Are you with me? Short prayers, long prayers, prayers on our knees. We'll close with this. A couple weeks back, our family had the great opportunity to go to San Diego, California for Thanksgiving. And I won't go into this part of the story. We were all supposed to go together, but there was a purse that was lost. If you're on the socials, that meant that somebody had to go back for the purse and then come the next day. That was me, all right? And I found myself in Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas, America, in the airport, waiting for the next flight. And I I was tired. It was because I only slept about four hours because of the purse. And uh, so I found a place to wait for the next flight away from everybody else. And it's just a row of, of seats, you know, where you're supposed to wait. And then there was about eight feet between me and the window that looked out over the runways and everything going on in Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas, America. All right? And I was thinking, man, maybe I need a coffee, but it was kind of a peaceful place. And then this dude walks right in front of me into that open space. And I just, I noticed him. He was a Middle Eastern dude. He set down his bag and then he turned around very politely with a nice smile on his face and he looked at me and he said, uh, excuse me, sir, but if you don't mind, I am going to pray. And I was like, no, it's fine. And I knew what was about to go down because out of his bag, he pulled a carpet and he unrolled it very carefully Checked his compass on his phone to make sure he's facing east, adjusted some things. And now I'm thinking, now I can't get coffee. Because I didn't want him to think that I was prejudiced. I am aware that we are in Dallas, Fort Worth, America, post 9-11. And this is about to happen. So I'm on my phone and I'm kind of observing and I'm kind of looking, you know, what are we going to have for these Texans? What's going on, you know? And he took his shoes off and he began his process. He did the rocking and then he got on his knees, forehead to the floor, back up. Went through all of his religious motions. And I just stayed respectful and stayed quiet. And I'm thinking, this Muslim praying to Allah by the command of the false prophet Muhammad has no idea, a Bible-believing, Jesus-preaching, redneck, is three feet away, and I really want to get into a conversation with him. He finished up, rolled up the carpet, put it in here, and I'm thinking, what could I do? What could I do? What could I say? Because I, I didn't want to, you know, hey, let me tell you something. Wapow! Yeah, I didn't know. I just want to have a talk, you know? And I wanted to see what opportunity might be there. And he he started to walk by. And I don't know why me. There were other people around. He turned to me and he just said, thank you so much, sir. And I don't know even where it came from, but in trying to throw a little bait in the water, I said to him, I said, assalamu alaikum, which in Arabic means peace be with you. And his head whipped around. 
looked at me and he said, Ah, alaikum salam. And then he said, God bless you. And I thought the hook was in. You know, I wanted him to go, how did you know that? And I would have had to respond, Netflix. <laughs> you know? But, but he didn't take the bait. He was running for a flight. And so I'm thinking, what was that about? Why did it stick with me? The whole way on that flight, from Dallas, Fort Worth, America, to California, what I admired was the commitment. All religions don't lead to God. There's only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. But here's a guy committed to praying to a false god. What about me? What about me? I'm thankful for a God that doesn't require me to bow to the east three times on a special mat and say the right words, otherwise I'll be struck down like a bug. I'm thankful that Jesus was my once for all sacrifice. But I do know, and it was confirmed in my heart in that moment, that there is a God who wants me to pray constantly. So we're gonna end the service a little bit different. The bands are gonna come in Manistee and here. Thank you for your patience. We're gonna end with a time of prayer. And you're gonna pray. They're gonna sing a song for us and I'm gonna invite you to either stay seated. You can get on your knees. If you feel so led. Don't wanna make it weird for anybody. If you're better praying, standing up with your hands towards heaven, that you can pray quietly out loud. You can pray silently. But I'm gonna invite you together, let's turn this house into a house of prayer. If you don't know how to pray, follow the P-R-A-Y. If you wanna pray your own thing, that's fine. Whatever you brought in here, God wants to hear from you. So we're just gonna take a moment as they sing the words of this familiar song. And as a church, we're gonna reflect and we're gonna pray. What's God saying to you? Would you bow your heads with me and let's pray together?